people are the most consequential and dangerous forces on earth. Well, personality psychology is about the nature of human nature. It's about people. And wouldn't that be useful to know? I mean, it seems to me, I can't, I can't think of a more important problem. You're listening to the Science of Personality podcast, brought to you by Hogan Assessments, the global leader in personality assessment and leadership development since 1987. Your hosts are Hogan Chief Science Officer and world-renowned personality psychologist, Dr. Ryan Sherman, along with Hogan PR Manager and resident storyteller, Blake Lepp. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Science of Personality podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Sherman, along with my co-host, as always, Blake Lepp. Say hello, Blake. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Science of Personality podcast, episode 64. Today, Ryan and I are joined by Hogan Assessment's founder and president, Dr. Robert Hogan. Dr. Hogan is an international authority on personality assessment, leadership, and organizational effectiveness. As an iconoclastic observer of American psychology, his theory-based work in personality measurement has contributed to the development of socio-analytic theory, which maintains that the core of personality is based on the evolutionary adaptations and that personality is best measured by examining one's reputation rather than one's identity. Today, we will tap into Dr. Hogan's expertise on personality and leadership to better understand Elon Musk the person, his business background, and his leadership style. As we've mentioned in previous episodes, Hogan employees commonly refer to Dr. Hogan as RT, which are his first and middle initials, Robert Travis Hogan. So when you hear Ryan and I saying RT throughout the episode, Dr. Hogan is who we're talking about. So with that, RT, say hello to our listeners. Hi, everyone. Nice, nice to see you here. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us today, RT. Uh, look, uh, we're going to dispense with the usual pleasantry since you've been on the podcast before, and I think Blake's going to get us right into it here. Yeah. So RT, I mean, I know that uh, we actually had a, a blog post that you and Ryan co-authored earlier this week. Uh, we are recording this on, this would be Friday, November 18th. So this would have been released a few days ago. And it, it was really, it was titled Understanding Elon. And we felt, hey, you know, this seemed to be popular. People seem to enjoy consuming this literature that you and, and Ryan put forth. So why not do a podcast episode on it? So thanks for joining us. And I guess for my first question out of the gate, um, Elon Musk has received a lot of criticism lately for how he has handled the Twitter takeover. So what do you make of all that criticism? Well, on, on business and business management, everyone seems to be an expert. No credentials required. If you, if you're, if you can fog a mirror, you're, you're entitled to have, a, have an opinion on these things. And so, in my view, the, the overall state of, of business journalism is actually quite deplorable. It's, 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 it's just a lot of people's opinions, stuff written by people who've never run anything. Uh, in, in contrast with those folks, and we actually know, we actually have some data on what it takes to run a business, and we've actually run a successful business. So, my first point would be that the, the overall level of commentary on, on, on Elon Musk's performance is just simply wrongheaded and, and, and kind of stupid. 
Well, I, I think I would follow up on that. I mean, in, in American sports culture, to get our sports reference in for the day, uh, we have this phrase called the Monday morning quarterback, which is the idea that uh, somebody who watched all of the football games over the weekend can come in and sit from their couch on, on or sometimes even the armchair quarterback, they call them, right? Where you sit in your lounge chair and you comment on what they should have done and how they should have done that and who should have done this and why they're doing it wrong. And, uh, and I think that's a similar kind of thing here. Would you, would you agree, RT? Well, yeah, and and, un, and just like the armchair quarterbacks, these 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 diluted or self 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 defined experts on business management uh, are never held accountable for their mistakes. If you're actually running a business, you are held accountable. People go broke, and there's there's consequences. But if you can make stuff up and offer up uh, opinions based on no data at all, you can still get away with it and hide behind your anonymity. Right. One of the phrases we've talked about, you and I before, RT, is the sort of a theoretical, uh, right? Uh, well, we've talked about theoretical gardeners, and we've also talked about theoretical business people. And I think that's a lot of what the criticism is coming from here, sort of people who are theoretically, this is how you should run a business, but who have actually no experience running a business. Uh, that, that, that's and Just because you run a business doesn't mean you know what you're talking about, because, <laughs> because and here's a number to, to, to remember, 90% of all new businesses fail which means that 90% of the people who started businesses did not know what they were talking about. Well, I find it also appalling just from a, somebody who has a background and a degree in journalism and broadcasting. I haven't found really an objective take on this, or at least not very many. And I think that's what was refreshing about the article that you and Ryan co-authored. It was just going against the grain of everything you were seeing in popular media. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to, offer any like you know fake news you know excuses there i just i think that a lot of these journalists uh, are missing the mark or at least not offering an objective view of this situation my favorite example of the sort of the general incompetence of business uh, journalism is is fortune magazine in, in uh, 1990 named jack welsh as the manager of the century and he went on to absolutely ruin uh, general electric so there you go <laughs> yeah, which is uh, he Jack Welch is one that I I've had people who I would have considered mentors in the past and they all think Jack Welch is great, but now that I've worked at Hogan and I've seen your take on it, I'm thinking how are these people I looked up to so wrong for so long? But um but I digress and you know, if we're moving on to the next question RT, some of the criticism has suggested that Elon Musk is a narcissist or that he has no plan for Twitter. As a psychologist and an expert on leadership, what do you think of that? Well, there are actually two questions. There. The first question is, does, does he have a, is he a narcissist? And the second question is, does he have a plan? With regard to the first, the term narcissism is widely bandied about, but in fact, it's mostly used inappropriately. Narcissists, well, actually, I want to run Ryan. To, Ryan has a really wonderful take on, on narcissism, but generally speaking, interviews and people who listen to Musk, there isn't a single person who calls him a narcissist. He can be a high, colorful guy who likes to, who likes to pay, have people pay attention to him, but he's not self-centered. He's not attention-seeking. He's already talking out a lot about finding a replacement for himself at, at, at uh, Tesla and already finding a place, replacement for himself at Twitter. Narcissists are the people who insist on staying in power, like Donald Trump. Uh, Trump, uh, Musk is a lot of things. He's absolutely not a narcissist. He listens to feedback and pays attention to details, and it's not about him. It's about the larger agenda. Well, I think one of the key differences between people like Musk and, and as RT mentioned, we, we have a tremendous amount of data on entrepreneurs and 
the more and more I read about Musk, the more and more I see how he acts, the more and more he reminds me of the absolute prototype of what an entrepreneur looks like in our database, right? So, and again, we have data from thousands of entrepreneurs, some of them very, very successful. No, none of us as successful as Musk, as we'll talk about a little later on. But these are very, very highly successful, very wealthy people, very successful entrepreneurs, and they all have very similar personality profiles. And it looks really an awful lot like Musk's. And a couple of things that really stand out there. Number one is that a lot of people think that they're after money because, for example, in the case of Elon Musk, he obviously has a lot of money, the richest person in the world. But the data that we have suggests they're not actually very interested in money, that these folks are really interested in in being right about something, trying to fix some problem, saying, hey, here's a problem. I think I know the solution and I think I'm right about it. And they seem to be sometimes declared narcissistic, as as RT said, because um, because of how they get frustrated, right? They get frustrated with people who sort of challenge their idea. But it's not so much about being challenged. It's about knowing that they're right and being frustrated that other people can't see why they're right. And that's a real critical distinction between, I think, entrepreneurs and narcissists. Narcissists, they don't really care if they're right or wrong. What they want to do is be perceived as right. It doesn't really matter what. They have to be perceived as the as the person who's right. They can't be corrected. They can't be challenged. Whereas in the work that we've done with entrepreneurs, and I've been in the room with some really high power entrepreneurs who are very successful and 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 very critical uh, they are comfortable with challenge they're comfortable with being direct they're comfortable with tackling problems head on and not placating to anybody's feelings uh, and it's not about being narcissistic it's about wanting to get to the right answer and get to it quickly without wasting time which, which I think is just it's very different but it's easy to get confused with the sort of um, outraging narcissist kind of perspective sometimes. I think there are two issues here. One is, uh, I, I thought what we were talking about was whether or not Musk was a narcissist. And I think the question is absolutely not. He does not fit the profile of a narcissist for a couple of reasons. One of which is a narcissist invariably ruin their businesses. Narcissists are basically politicians. Entrepreneurs are people who want to win. And you can't win if you're not unwilling to pay attention to feedback. Narcissists are about staying on the stage and having people pay attention to them. Entrepreneurs are about seeing their ideas fulfilled. Well, RT... Obviously, this has been in the news a lot, so we've we've had a pretty good um, overview actually, of at least. Actually, let me interrupt you for a second. There was a second part to this conversation, which was the criticism of Musk is that he doesn't have a plan, and I wanted to pick on that for a second too. Sure, which is, you know, he didn't have a plan. Well, who has a plan? I mean, what's what's the deal with plans? His famous line, uh, Eisenhower's line was, "Plans are everything. Planning is plan, planning is everything. Plans are nothing." And and and. Uh, uh, Mike Tyson's line, everybody has a plan until they get hit in the nose. I think the notion that he's going in there without a plan is, is I mean, who, how can you how can you possibly have a plan for a chaotic situation? You have to go in and see what's working and what's not working and then figure it out from there. You can't approach it. Planning is a theoretical exercise. It's best reserved for academics who have plenty of leisure time. If you're actually up there, the famous coach of UCLA back in the day, the LA papers got after him because he abandoned his, his game plan in the middle of the game. And he said, he said, my favorite quote about planning, he said, when you're up to your ass in alligators, who has time for a plan? (laughs) Yeah, at Twitter, Musk is up to his ass in alligators. So this claim that he's going in there without a plan is just utterly wrongheaded. It's it's, it's brought forth by people who have never actually tried to run anything. Well, I guess that leads me to my next question, though. Do you think, based on your observation, that Elon Musk has handled everything at Twitter perfectly in this transition. 
Well, the the big complaint is that he's he's firing people at random, and there and there are several comments to that. Um, first of all, uh, people are easily frightening. People are easily frightened. People are really kind of way more scared than you might think. They're basically just chimpanzees with fingernails. <laughs> the tiniest changes in an environment scare the crap out of people. So he's coming in. He's going to make changes, and people are terrified. But you know this. The, 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 the building was on fire. He, they sued him to, to require him to buy Twitter. That's how bad. I mean, the board sued him, and they because they knew what, how bad the situation was. And you know, if you sue him to buy you, then be careful what you get, right? I know you don't hear the board complaining about what he's doing. What you hear the complaints are coming from from business journalists. Um. So, and but but think about this: Google, Amazon, and Facebook are laying off tens of thousands of people, even as we speak. How's that different from what's going on at Twitter? And there's a, there's another part of this, which is that that it's called I call it Pareto's rule. Pareto is a Italian economist in the 19th century. He his argument had to do with landowners, but it can extend it to, to workforces. Twenty percent of the people in every organization do eighty percent of the work. 80% of the people do 20% of the work. You go in and fire people at random, you're still going to get rid of an awful lot of people who are not performing. So clearly, even the Twitter people admitted that they were seriously overstaffed. So the claim that he's going in and firing people and creating chaos, it may be upsetting a lot of people, but I'm pretty sure that's exactly what had to be done. And it's what's going on across the rest of the tech- technology industry. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, Jack Dorsey, the former CEO of Twitter, said, "Yeah, we got we, we overhired. We had too many people come in at once, and we we were and look if you look at their financial numbers, this is a company that hasn't made money really in over a decade." And so, yeah, uh, you know, there was obviously going to be a lot of changes that needed to happen. I do think it is fair to point out that that uh, firing the wrong people and then asking them to come back on Monday going, whoops, we didn't mean to fire you. We meant to fire somebody else instead is, is kind of an oversight. Um, they probably could have done a little better job on that. Uh, but I think that the general perspective and I think what people are missing here is that the place was a mess. Uh, and, and when the place is a mess, somebody's got to come in and clean it up. And, and I, I mean, look, we're not advocating for firing people or putting people out of work, but uh, if the organization is going to survive, uh, changes obviously had to be made. One of the smartest organizational operatives I ever met had a line. He said, it's programs, not people. It's the program you want to keep going. You can't worry about the people. People are actually replaceable. And unfortunately that's true. But the organization fails. Everybody loses. You give it to a few people who shouldn't. Programs, not people. You got to keep your eye on the ball. People come and go. Organizations either fail or don't. Yeah, and I, I see a lot of parallels because you know, having grown up in Oklahoma, obviously a, a state driven by the the oil and gas industry, or at least in a lot of ways for a lot of years. But I kind of see the same parallels with these tech industries where things are good money's flowing in we're gonna hire up and we're gonna spend lavishly on all of these things until times aren't good and then they all these companies find themselves laying a significant chunk of their workforce off whenever maybe if they would have just made smarter decisions in the times when things were good and didn't spend so much maybe they wouldn't have to have this uh this bad pr problem whenever they do have to lay off people whenever things aren't so good i like to also I want to say that I, I, my guess is that I wouldn't like Elon Musk if I met him, but I think the criticism is just wrong-headed and it ought to be called out. Uh, so 
goes like this. Think about this. It's, we call it this base rate problem. 90% of all new businesses fail. Full stop. That's a rule. 90% of all new businesses fail. Now look at Musk's track record. How many of his businesses have failed? The answer is, guys? <laughs> Not very many, if any. <laughs> None. So he's got a phenomenal track record for success. So why did he suddenly lose his mind? You know, everyone who knows him says he's really, really smart about business trends and, and, and business assumptions. Uh, and, and, and one more time, bear in mind, Twitter sued him to require him to buy Twitter. In the same time, going back to Tesla, he was going to, he, he got annoyed. The people talk about his huge, huge pay package that, that Musk got at, at, at Tesla. Well, he was so annoyed with Tesla's board that he was going to quit. And they put that huge pay package on the, on, the, on the table in order to keep him from, in order to retain him as, as operator of, of Tesla's. But clearly, the people who are actually close to him and, and watch him work really value his input and his, and his, uh, his ideas. Well, Archie, as a personality psychologist, you must have something to say about the sort of person Musk is. So in your opinion, what is he like? Well, this is this is we do. This is sort of the business that we're in. I mean, people ask us to, to sort of profile managers, profile this guy, profile, profile Jeb Bush, profile Blake Luke, uh, and and the question is, well, you know, what's the proper structure of a profile? And I I like to think about talent, people, personnel in terms of what I call power, structure, and style. Power concerns you know how their basic level of talent. The structure concerns how they focus their focus their talent and then style concerns how they impact other people. In terms of power, Musk is obviously very smart. He has a degree in physics and a degree in economics, both of which are intensely mathematical and technical. He really understands technology. He did, he did all the coding for his first uh, uh, short, uh, uh, internet platform. So he's, in terms of just brains, he's very smart. He comes from a very smart family. And, uh, and understands technology and numbers way, way, way better than the average than the average bear. In terms of structures, the question here is where does he focus his interest? I think he's a classic entrepreneur. And uh, on this, I actually would defer to Ryan. Ryan actually has more data on entrepreneurs than pretty much anybody I know. I, my sense is he's a classic entrepreneur, which means he's, he's hardworking, competitive, uh, energetic, and wants to win. But beyond that, you know, Oh, and he's not greedy. He's, he's absolutely not greedy. He's just very, very successful. Guys like him are not, they're not in it for the money. They're in it for, to win and they're in it to see their ideas prevail. And for them, making money is just a, a way of keeping score. Uh, but he's not a, he, I don't think he's greedy. I don't think he's selfish. I, I think he's actually, actually very competitive and actually probably pretty altruistic in terms of wanting to make, make. so power is really smart technically savvy structure he's interested in winning and making a difference and 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 i think generally raising the level of human welfare and then in terms of style he describes himself as asperger's and i that, and i think it's probably true asperger's there's a asperger's is an organizational hazard in academia smart people you see it in my career as an academic you see a lot the base rate of asperger's is really really high particularly among people who are quantitative but asperger's means you don't need, you're unaware of, you can't appreciate, you know, actually in some ways don't even care about the kind of impact you're making on other people. But, but you know, uh, that, that that just means you're kind of politically ham-fisted. But it doesn't mean you're not a nice person. It just means you, you, you're relatively insensitive to your impact on other people. But, but, he's, but people who know him say, 
So despite the fact that the Asperger's, people who know him say he's, quote, the life of the party, that he's great fun to be around. He's very colorful. He's engaging. He's, he's entertaining. And people like, enjoy his company. He's been asked to host Saturday Night Live on a couple of occasions just based on his sheer wit and, 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 and exuberant uh, personality. So style, he's, he's, he's fun, he's engaging, he's energetic, he's, he's outrageous, he's high mischievous, he, he's salty, he makes uh, off-the-cuff remarks that I think are quite funny. Uh, and he probably doesn't care how, how they impact other people. But I would uh, defer to, uh, to uh, Ryan to talk about his actual person, the, the classic personality, the personality style of the classic entrepreneur. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think you've captured it pretty well. I think a couple of things that I would add in particular about Musk, one concerns IQ and leadership, right? So that's one of the questions that, that we get a lot is people go, oh, look at, I, look at Elon Musk. Uh, what, a, what a terrible leader. And, and, I don't, and I don't think the point that we're making here is that he, he's an incredibly talented leader by any means. And I think that your point about his interpersonal style suggests that, that maybe he's, he's not really the most effective leader. Obviously, he's a wildly successful business person. He's a wild, had a wildly successful career. And I think that's one of the key things here. You mentioned IQ. Uh, obviously, he's, he's really, really very smart. And, and gosh, we have a client right now that we're working with who is trying to hire leaders and they're frustrated that the IQ test scores are lower than they want them to be among their leaders. And what I keep talking with them about, and I, and I seem to be struggling to get through to them, is why do you think IQ is so important? These are people with a tremendous amount of leadership experience who really know what they're doing and really understand the industry. And they've got all of these interpersonal qualities that make them effective leaders. But you're trying to to not make them a leader because their IQ score isn't high enough. And, and I can't understand why that matters. And, and in the case of Musk, is I think it's kind of the opposite, right? He has a tremendously high IQ, is very smart, really makes a lot of good decisions, and has had a wildly successful business career and a very successful uh, uh, you know, personal career. But he's not necessarily the world's most effective leader. And I think we see that with a lot of entrepreneurs. A lot of entrepreneurs aren't the best leaders in the world, uh, but they're really good at the ideas and they're really good at seeing, seeing those through. And, and I think that, that people think they should be the same thing and, and they, don't, they don't have to be. Uh, one other comment I would make about Musk is he describes himself as a nano manager. And there's this really great story um, when he bought, after he bought out Tesla, uh, that the two guys who founded Tesla um, were, were really frustrated. They said he was terrible. He was awful. He was horrible to work with. He slowed down production dramatically. And they gave an example. And the example that they gave was that he insisted on the S model that they, um, you know, the handles on the Tesla, how those handles are electric and that they don't actually stick out, right? You have to like put your hand near them and then they pop out. If you've ever uh, gotten near a Tesla or gotten into a Tesla, the, the handles, like they're, they're flat up against the side and they pop. And he insisted on having those and insisted on having these electric handles. Now, look, from a performance perspective, this ha contributes nothing to the car, right? It doesn't make the car a better performing car. But I would point out that one of the defining features of a Tesla, how do you know that that car over there is a Tesla is because it has handles like that. And it's one of the things that he insisted on that the engineers told him, and no, 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 this is terrible. What a waste of time. We're never going to get this out in time if we do that. And he insisted it have that. And I'm looking back at it going, wow, what a defining feature of the car. Yes, he was nano managing this project, but he was just right about that judgment. And, and I think that's one of the things that, uh, that, again, makes him not necessarily an effective leader, but uh, still a, a wildly successful business person. Implicit in the conversation we're having right now is what I call the Apple paradox. Yes. And I think it's a really important phenomenon that, that most people seem to ignore. 
which is so it goes back to Steve Jobs, who was the so the sort of legendary founder, I suppose, of Apple. He was a terrible man. He was just an awful guy. And and he, the anti, the absolute antithesis of good leadership. Leadership is leaders are people that people are, are people who individuals whom other people actually want to follow. Uh, Jobs was a seriously off-putting personality. So the question is, how can someone with zero or negative leadership characteristics like Jobs runs a successful business? And that's what I call the Apple paradox. And I think. I don't. I don't know what. The, I don't know what the. Uh, first of all, first step in solving problems is to identify the problem. There's a problem. How can people like Musk and Jobs be so successful when they're not good leaders? And so that's the. And my my answer is that they surround themselves with people who actually are good leaders, and who who more or less insulate the, the company from the from the worst impulses of the of the Jobs or the Musk. So, so you have to have entrepreneurs, and the data are right clear on this. Entrepreneurs definitely start a business need to leave, otherwise they end up running the business. Mm-hmm. So there's this like the first generation gets it. This goes back to Max Weber's theory of, of bureaucracy. There's a there's a charismatic person who gets things started, then you have to bring in bureaucrats to maintain it. Because you leave the charismatic person in charge, they'll end up running it right in the ground. So I think Max Weber's theory of evolution, the Iron Law of bureaucracy, he called it. Uh, it probably explains the Apple paradox. In any case, I think people should think take, think more carefully about and take seriously the concept of the Apple paradox. This is a genuine intellectual puzzle. Okay, RT, before we let you get out of here, I have one last question. I think our audience will actually be interested to, to hear your answer on this as well. Do you think Musk will succeed in saving Twitter, and why or why not? Oh, well, I mean, I think the, 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 uh, the jury's out on that, but I'll put it this way. I mean, they were going down anyway. They'd only had like once one profitable year in the entire history of their business. And, and the guy at Dorsey who stepped down was a terrible manager. So I would say it's, if I would put it this way, I don't know if they're going to succeed or not, but if anybody can save them, it'll probably be Musk. How's that? Well, that sounds pretty good to me. I mean, I, I think that that, that is the big the thing that everybody's missing here. It's really easy to look at what he's doing and or what he says on Twitter and go, oh, geez, well, awful. What an awful example of a leader. But what everyone's missing here is that the, the, the ship was the ship was already sinking, right? It was sinking yes. so bad that they, they sued him to buy it. They said, no, no, yes. no. You said you were going to buy it. You have to buy it, right? So that's how bad a shape the place is in. And, 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 and I think a lot of people aren't, uh, aren't paying attention to that. And so I don't know. I guess I, I would agree, RT. I think if it, if it goes down, it's not going to be because of something he did. It's going down because it was yes. going down anyway. Now, he, I, he may... Uh, he he may accelerate its downfall uh, through some of the moves, but I but I don't think um, I, I don't think there was uh, any saving it unless somebody like him stepped in to try to save it. Yep, I really agree. Well, I hope he's able to save it because out of all the social media platforms, I think it brings the most value for those who wish to stay informed on things, um, the important things you can find. That's where this is the best place to find news, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> well, I don't know if it's the best place to find news, but it's certainly a place where you can connect with public figures, right? Where individuals can connect with public figures at a level that you really couldn't on anything else, any other platform. And I think that's one of the things that makes it really unique. Um, and it is a platform for many public figures to express their their ideas, thoughts, and opinions, as as Elon has clearly demonstrated. Well, Artsy, any closing thoughts before we, we let you go? 
I just think that, 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 that this is a, a really interesting sort of exemplar test case for, for the overall problem, which is, you know, the people don't understand leadership and there are a lot of irresponsible journalists taking, uh, taking public stands on, on leadership and they don't know what they're talking about. Well, there's no better way to end it than that. Uh, RT, thanks so much for coming on. We always appreciate having you on the podcast, and I think our listeners are really going to enjoy your perspective on this, and um, we're really excited to release this episode. Well, thanks for inviting me. It was great fun. And that does it for the Science of Personality podcast, episode 64. Be sure to join us in two weeks for another fun and informative episode. Cheers, everybody. This has been the Science of Personality podcast, brought to you by Hogan Assessments. You can access all podcast episodes on our website, scienceofpersonality.com, or on the streaming service of your choice. See you next time.